Hi, I'm Nick Gregoratis, and this is the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Podcast. The show for grapplers and martial artists that want to evolve both on and off the mat. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood show. So you guys may have heard me mention in a previous episode that things are going to be changing with the show and moving in a a new direction with it. It's going to be getting a rebrand and uh, the focus is going to be changing. That's going to be happening in about two or three episodes time. So we're still going to continue with things as they are for about two or three episodes and then I'll be announcing the big changes. It's all positive stuff. I think you guys are all going to appreciate it. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. This week's guest is Dr. John Bonner, who's a functional medicine doctor. He has got some interesting ideas on nutrition and wellness, in particular for jiu-jitsu fighters, which um, is obviously very different from what the average person requires. So I don't, again, I don't entirely agree with all of his points, which is becoming a theme with, with the other guests, but he's definitely a well-researched and intelligent man, and he's got some some interesting stuff to share. As usual, guys, you can get 10% off anything in the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood store using the code PODCAST. we got a new program in by BJJ After 40 legend Mike Bidwell. It's called The Bone Breaker, and it's really, really cool. I had to um, edit it before we launched it, so I watched it, and there's some really creative and interesting stuff on there. Mike is truly a a unique and visionary mind in jiu-jitsu. So I recommend you guys go check it out. Remember, anything you buy, use the code PODCAST and you'll get 10% off. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. Here is Dr. Don Bonner. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Don Bonner. Dr. Don Bonner is a functional medicine expert, and he reached out to me on Facebook after listening to some of the other shows. I'm really happy to have you on the show, Don. Oh, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. I really like the show and I think you're doing a great job. Oh, man. Thank you so much. I can only do a great job because of the amazing people like you who agree to talk to me. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. This is kind of an aside, but uh, that's how we really got connected. I was listening to one of your podcasts. I was on a road trip and you had Jay Campbell on there. Oh, nice. And yeah, so I I listened to the podcast and uh, I reached out to Jay and talked to him. And uh, he actually had me on his podcast. And when we were finishing up, I told him the story about, you know, about you that I, you know, listened to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he encouraged me to reach out to you. So I said, you know, what the heck, I'll reach out and, uh, you know, maybe get something out to the uh, jujitsu community about uh, functional medicine. That's great. I know it's, uh, as we were saying before we started the recording, you mentioned that functional medicine is something that... uh, it's important to educate the jiu-jitsu community on because there's a lot of bro science that goes around, probably because it's because we're all bros, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, I think there's something about guys too that, uh, you know, we you know we pick something up on the internet or, you know, somebody else tells us something and then, we you know, some guys will, you know, make it uh, kind of their own. And uh, it sounds very convincing a lot of times, uh, and it may be completely wrong. (laughs) Do you you have an example of of that phenomena? Well, this didn't really have much to do with, with, uh, you know, the health of a typical jiu-jitsu practitioner, but I was on the mats probably about a month ago, 
and I was I was warming up, and and uh, some guys started talking about uh, dementia. One of their uh, father in laws had dementia, and uh, they were talking about the causes, the different kinds, and it was completely wrong. I mean, I just I just sat and listened to it, and there was like four or five people that chimed in, and. Uh, you know, I you know I just hear those kind of things, and it makes me cringe in the, in the sense that, you know, again, I, I think there's just a lot of poor information out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have so much information at our fingertips now that uh, that's a good thing, but I think it can be a double-edged sword in that it, a lot of it's not you know edited to a degree, and it can be completely wrong. Yeah, that is it's definitely a concern. I mean, we've all been awake at night googling some symptom we have and then eventually convince ourselves that we have stage four leukemia oh absolutely no i I totally i get what you're saying what you know it's a gap in my knowledge when someone's that phrase functional medicine what does that mean exactly well you know i think there's a lot of different names out there for this kind of medicine there's precision medicine functional medicine uh wellness essentially the way i look at it is that uh, functional medicine tends to look at uh, different kinds of medical problems at its uh, root cause. So if you came to see me with a, with a medical issue, say you had uh, hypertension, instead of me just giving you a prescription for an antihypertensive, we would have an in-depth conversation, we'd do some lab work, and we would start digging for the cause of that high blood pressure. Mm. So, so the difference is we're looking to, to treat in such a way that, you know, and, you know, I hate to use the word cure, but uh, improve the situation at, at, its, at its base from where it came from. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be from a lot of things, you know, like hypertension. It could be something as simple as uh, the person has obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. So you uncover the obstructive sleep apnea and the hypertension gets better. So that, that's basically how I look at functional medicine. And then I also look at it as very much uh, preventative medicine in the sense that uh, when I see a patient, I spend a lot of time with uh, diet, nutrition, sleep, stress management, exercise, uh, hormone optimization, all of those things, you know, go into making a kind of well-rounded program for each individual. And each individual is very, very different on what we need to do for that particular person. A few things came to mind when you were describing that. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm a believer, man. I'm a total believer in the fact that it's obvious to me that most of us are over-medicated and that modern allopathic medicine does have a habit of just treating symptoms as opposed to trying to find the root causes of disease. But one mm-hmm. of the things I'm skeptical of is most of the time, or not most of the time, in many instances, we don't know what the root causes of disease are. So if, for example, someone has leukemia, it's, I mean, you can run all the blood tests in the world, but it's my understanding that it's pretty difficult to pinpoint, oh, well, you got leukemia because you ate a bag of Doritos on Thursday, the 12th of June, 1987. I mean, there's no real, you, you get what I'm saying? How would you, how would you address that? 
Well, you know, I would say that, you know, number one, when you're talking about something, you know, like cancer, you know, the issue with that is, is that uh, number one, you can't have, uh, you know, a genetic predisposition for, you know, many different things. But the, I'll take it a step back. When I was a, say, an intern, or even when I was in medical school in the 90s, we had this idea that there was a genetic cause for everything. Mm-hmm. So there were, we, we would, you know, we thought that, uh, that uh, when the human genome project finished, that we would have an answer for everything. Mm-hmm. But, but what we found, which is actually more exciting, is that only about 15% of illnesses are purely genetic. The, the rest of getting an illness is 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 brought about by what is called epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And what epigenetics means is that you may have a genetic predisposition for something. For example, breast cancer. You may have the BRCA1 gene, for instance, and that puts you at an increased risk for breast cancer. But that does not mean that you will get breast cancer because if you follow a you know a good diet and you know you know, basically attack all of these epigenetic issues that could bring about the illness, you you will never get the illness. Mm-hmm. So so I think that, you know, what like what you were talking about with leukemia, I think you have to be careful, like with this functional medicine type of, uh, you know, outlook that, uh, you know, somebody comes down with an illness and then they feel like it was their fault. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't mean that by any means. But I think that what we do know, and especially with this kind of medicine now, is that we have a tremendous amount of control over what happens to us in our lives. Uh, For example, you know, my family and extended family, you know, tons of cancer in my family. But when you look at the individuals, uh, they were overweight uh, they didn't eat well. They smoked. They drank. So, so you can see all of those epigenetic factors mm-hmm. were, were a big player in them eventually getting the illness. So, what we have to do is we have to, you know, take patients and basically give them a lifestyle that's as clean as possible to try to prevent these. Uh, illnesses of uh, modern man, I guess you would say. And when you say um, we want to give them a lifestyle that's as clean as possible, what, is, what does that mean to you? What are the biggest changes that can be made or the, the things that you would consider the most important to change? Well, you know, if you'd asked me that two years ago, I would have said, you know, number one would be diet and nutrition by far. But I would say now I'm a big believer that sleep, believe it or not, is number one on the list as far as health goes. Oh, I can believe that, definitely. Uh, and I think that especially, you know, especially in the United States, we have this, uh, we have this kind of idea that sleep is almost, uh, you know, a failing. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that, you know, you know, if you slept eight hours last night... Uh, You're a slacker. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, I get, I get by with four. And look, and look what everything, you know, everything that I get done. Yeah. But... Uh, the science is really coming out that uh, all of your repair takes place at night. There's lymphatics from your brain that, that are showing that uh, there's a lot of 
drainage at night Mm -hmm. that basically is getting rid of all of these evil humors that uh, we've developed uh, throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So sleep, like I said, would be my number one. And then, and then obviously diet nutrition, number two. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's good to hear uh, that you you think so uh, highly of sleep because, you know, it's been my experience as well that a good night's sleep can cure a lot of things. It's almost like hitting the reset button and on everything, on your spirit, on your, on your mind, on your body. And the more I study sleep and the more I find out about it, the more I realize that, you know, science backs that idea up of the fact that you are basically hitting reset your, your brain. It's my understanding. And I guess you would fill in the gaps, my knowledge, but while you sleep, there's a certain type of fluid, which basically washes your brain and kind of coats your brain. And, and as you said, gets rid of those, those humors, all the toxic waste products that have built up over the course of the day. And I, I know as I'm getting older as well, it's there's nothing or very few things as important to me as a good night's sleep. Have you seen that device called the the Ura Ring? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have one. Oh, you do? I'm I'm so I'm right on the fence for getting one. Have you had a good experience with it? Yeah, actually a really good experience with it because you know it the uh, the, the detail that you get with sleep is is tremendous. And, uh, you know, me, for example, I thought I was getting a great night's sleep. And as it turns out, my deep sleep was not that good. I mean, I was actually sleeping uh, seven to eight hours a night, but my deep sleep was only 30 to 40 minutes, which was, which was not very long. And what did so, you do to correct that? Well, I've done, I've done several different hacks to, uh, to uh, help with that. One, you know, I don't, I uh, make sure I don't eat very close to bedtime. That helps. And believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy. Uh, there's a method called mouth taping that has, it's, it's made a huge difference for me. I, I don't really snore that much, but I have a tendency when I'm asleep to have my mouth open. And obviously when you mouth tape, you have to breathe through your nose. And my deep sleep uh, doubled by uh, by uh, putting tape on my mouth. <laughs> wow, yeah, it's something I've been wanting to try for a while. I'm, I'm interested to, to give it a go and see what happens. You know, uh, Dr. Barner, there's this something that I struggle with. In fact, it's not a struggle anymore. It's uh, it's not a struggle. I think I've superseded it. You know, we, we are constantly bombarded by the media with new reports and new findings over what's good for us and what's not good for us. And the, the thing, the thing that I, I used to have issues with is, you know, when I, for the, the example I'm going to use is diet and nutrition. When I grew up, the prevailing conventional medical wisdom was that fat was bad for you. Literally all fat except polyunsaturated fat, like um, hydrogenated vegetable oils and margarine and things like that. But besides that, saturated fat and monounsaturated fat was the literal worst thing, most toxic thing you could ever have. It's extremely bad for you. A low-fat diet was the way forwards. And, you know, I'm sure there were guys doing, I guess there weren't podcasts back there, but they were, they were doing interviews or radio shows with people as knowledgeable and as wise as yourself who would be saying, you need to eat a low-fat diet and you need to avoid saturated fat and you need to eat polyunsaturated fat. And now we know, or at least the current science tells us the complete opposite. And the thing that I realized I can't I can't base my life on the current conventional medical wisdom because it is it is a shifting platform. Right? Who knows? Like maybe maybe in two years' time, 
you're going to find out that 30 minutes of sleep three times a day is better than sleeping eight hours a day or that sleep is actually causing your brain to, I mean, I know that's highly unlikely and I don't think that's a great example, but do, do you get where I'm going with that? How do you? Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Jay uh, Campbell and I had a long discussion about this on our podcast and, um, Interestingly, you know, I, I'm an anesthesiologist also. I'm a board-certified anesthesiologist. And, you know, I wouldn't change my mind with anesthesia. It would take a lot for me to change my mind. But this kind of medicine mm-hmm. and what you like what you just talked about, diet and nutrition, you have to be ready to make a 180 at any time. If you know, if the science comes out with something different, like what you just said about sleep, for example, then you have to be willing to alter your thoughts and, and uh, change. I guess it goes for me, sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Martin, but the thing, the thing for me is it goes a little bit deeper than that because it's not so much the willingness or unwillingness to change because of the science. It's the, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's, it's this, I'm starting to, to distrust things that are coming out of the medical and scientific communities because of two things. The first is the immensely powerful corporate interests that influence science and medicine. Uh, and also because of the phenomenon of uh, what's known as careerism, whereby certain medical professionals will not change their mind regardless of what they're presented with, because they realize that it will lead to a roadblock in their career development. You know, they're not going to get funding if they, for example, it's it's my current perspective, and I, I could be wrong, but from the, the self-experimentation I've done and from the things I've read in the fringe science that I've studied or, or dabbled into, I don't think sugar is as bad for you as everyone claims it is. I, I think that's, and I, this is coming from someone who maybe had two tablespoons of sugar a year for the first 25, 26 years of his life. That's how disciplined I was with it. And now the things I've been studying and the experiments I've been doing on my own body lead me to believe that sugar isn't as bad for you as, as we were told. But if a doctor were to come out in the current climate and present anything or, or say he's got an idea or, a, or postulate that sugar isn't as bad for you as he thinks it is, he'd, he'd never get anywhere. Because at this point, the system has kind of shifted into a low-carb, sugar-is-evil kind of zeitgeist. And it's impossible to break out of that, at least until the cycle turns again. So what I'm trying to say is it's, it's at the point now where it's not even science. It's not even a question of like, are you able to change your mind? It's a question of, is the whole system just fundamentally broken? And are we, are we just, have we veered so way, far away from truth that the only thing we have to navigate with now is our own internal compass? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're wrong there. I, I think that uh, if you look at uh, I think it's you know becoming clear that uh, a lot of the science that comes out is incredibly biased, and uh, and we know that it's not accurate. Part of what you have to do, and and part of why I like this kind of medicine, is when you individualize somebody's care, you you're not dogmatic in, in a particular approach. <laughs> For example. I could take two different patients that come in. Say I, say I have one guy that comes in and he's six feet tall and 185 pounds and he's got 15% body fat. Well, I'm not going to put that, that person on a low-carb diet. Uh, I'm going to put him on a higher-carbohydrate diet, more of a Mediterranean diet, and so, so it's not going to be low-carb. 
And, mm-hmm. um, but the flip side of that, I, you know, the next patient that comes in, maybe six feet tall, 280 pounds with glucose intolerance, uh, you know, and he's pre-diabetic, he's got visceral fat. That patient is carbohydrate uh, intolerant. And you mm. you have to restrict carbohydrates on that particular patient. And, you know, eventually, well, you not only restrict carbohydrates, but I also use a lot of fasting. So mm. between the two of those things, you, you have to get that person insulin sensitive again. And then when they're insulin sensitive, then they, you can go back typically to more carbohydrates. That makes sense. But you have to be, you, you have to take every individual. I'll give you another example. There's a, there's a, there's a big push out there right now. That's there's a fad called uh, a carnivore diet. So the, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, so these people are eating nothing but meat. And, you know, the people that, that, uh, that are very much on social media look great. They're, you know, their body fat percentage is low, they're strong, but that's not for everybody. So, you know. And also it could, one of the things I realized is that with many of these diets, uh, in fact, pretty much all the extreme diets, veganism, the ketogenic diet, et cetera, et cetera, you feel great for the first six months. Sometimes you even feel great for the, for the first year. But then the deficiencies start to creep in, and your and your body kind of. I mean, I had I had a one of the people I, I read and whose work I study, a gentleman called Danny Roddy, who actually uses the carnivore diet in particular, and he said he literally didn't eat anything for a year except meat, and he felt absolutely fantastic until he didn't. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think uh, so. So much, so much comes to mind. I'm actually struggling to keep up with my thoughts. But I really like your idea of of not not using a one size fits all approach to to patient care. I think that is is really important because you know some people actually might have a predisposition to doing better on more amounts of meat and less amounts of carbs. Absolutely. And other people might be the exact opposite. One of the things that hit me when I I first started thinking about this is. Um, I used to eat very low carb. As I said, I literally would not touch any sugar and, and almost no, no uh, simple carbohydrate and very little complex carbohydrate. And then I was reading Andre Galvao's book, Drill to Win. Uh, Andre Galvao, if you're not familiar with him, he's, a, he's one of the best oh, yeah. players who ever lived, basically. Yeah. And it's a fantastic book. And in his book, he said he tried the low carb diet, but it didn't make him feel good. And I remember reading that thinking, this doesn't like my mind was kind of short circuiting. It was like, this doesn't make sense. He's, he's in great shape, but he's not eating the way he's supposed to. And then that started a little crack in my psyche. And I started to think, well, maybe it isn't for everyone. Maybe we're all different. Maybe we work differently, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I can tell you that, uh, especially for a jujitsu practitioner who's using, you know, a lot of anaerobic work, and you're going to need more carbohydrates uh, for that person. They're not going to do very well on a low-carbohydrate diet. One thing that we're finding is that endurance athletes do pretty well on low-carb and ketogenic diets once they become uh, metabolically adapted. But, uh, okay. but sports like sprinters, wrestlers, uh, jiu-jitsu players, they generally are going to need more carbohydrates. And, and again, you know, you know, if it's a jujitsu practitioner, that's a hundred pounds overweight, you're going to have to restrict his carbohydrates. You're going to have, you're going to have to put him on fasting protocols to get him metabolically flexible. 
And then when you're metabolically flexible and you're at a, at a good weight, then you can start adding more carbohydrates in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Dr. Juan, let's, let's direct the conversation a little bit towards something that is very close to my heart at the moment. Uh, my business partner, Dr. Mark Barton, who is, I mean, one of, I always say he's one of the most qualified uh, doctors in all of the United Kingdom. He's got four different science degrees. He's written books. He's just a very well, well-read, intelligent man. And he's he says to me, you've got to be careful when you recommend things because it might work for you, but it might not work for someone else. So just as we've just spoken, spoken about, one of the things I've, I started three months ago, I started after speaking with Jay and, and consulting a doctor, I started to take uh, started a course of testosterone replacement therapy. And, and the biggest thing that I've noticed is loss of visceral fat since starting that. And it got me thinking, I realized, I think that the, the master component to health is the endocrine system i think that you can eat as well as you want whether it's low carb or low fat or whatever protocol you choose you can exercise as much as you want you can it it doesn't matter if your endocrine system isn't isn't uh, able to support you in that it's not going to make a difference would you would you agree with that oh yeah absolutely and uh you know like i you know said earlier a big uh, portion of my program is hormone optimization, you know, not just, not, and not just the, you know, sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, thyroid's incredibly important. Cortisol is very important. And, uh, you know, all of these hormones have to be in balance and they have to be at a, an appropriate level in the sense that I, I like all of these, all of these levels to be at basically high normal for all of them. And uh, it makes a tremendous, uh, a tremendous difference. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, you know what? One of the things that interests me as well is thyroid. I've, I've done some experimentation with uh, natural desiccated thyroid. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'd love your input on it. It's not something I really, because my thyroid uh, TSH levels were not totally out of whack. I, I couldn't actually get prescribed thyroid, but I, I managed to get some from a friend and I've been taking very low doses of it. And uh, it's, it's very strange. On some days, it makes me feel absolutely fantastic. And on other days, it gives me a headache and makes me feel kind of weird. Do you have any, any insight into that? Or because um, thyroid is something that interests me? Yeah, I think that uh, part of the problem with thyroid has been that uh, conventionally, most doctors just get a, what's called a TSH and a T4 level. And Personally, I think that's inadequate as far as diagnosing thyroid problems because the thyroid gland, when it's when it secretes thyroid, 85% is T4. T4 is essentially a pro-hormone in that it, it's basically inactive and it has to be converted in the periphery to T3. So for me... I definitely measure free T3 mm. and I base most of my therapy on that number. So you could have a perfectly normal TSH, a perfectly normal T4, but a very but a very low T3 and have hypothyroid symptoms, you know, cold, weight gain, dry skin, hair falling out. And Typically, I will I will treat those patients, and uh, even with a normal TSH, 
And, and, and again, I use desiccated thyroid. I think that's the appropriate thing to do. You know, it's very common in our world that we see that a lot. Oh, that, that makes, yeah, it's my understanding. It's because they used to have sources of thyroid in the, in the meat supply. And then, I mean, the, the research I did, I don't know if this is accurate, but apparently some idiot, uh, this was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, some idiot ate a thyroid burger as a kind of a prank. And he got uh, hyperthyroidosis and got extremely ill. And that prompted the FDA to ban all traces of the, the thyroid gland in meat. Because apparently we, back in the day, as hunter-gatherers, we used to eat the whole animal, including its glands, including some of the thyroid gland. And so that would help your body you know, have a, a decent level of thyroid. And apparently that's changed. And that, I don't know if that's true. Uh, again, that's what I've been told, but either way, thyroid is something interesting. Dr. Bonner, uh, let's look, we're on, we're on a shifting foundation, you know, new patients <laughs> right. are coming out. No one can make any absolute statements. And you've, sure. you've just said very succinctly and eloquently that there is no one size fits all. Having said that, because you can't really give tailored advice to everyone listening to the show. However, you do know that they are generally men and they're generally jujitsu players. What functional health advice, maybe if you could think of three or four pieces of, of, of wisdom you could give to them, is there anything you would recommend? Obviously, sleep is, is one of them that you've just mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, sleep by far is, uh, is probably number one. Uh, diet, like we talked about earlier. And uh, one thing that, that, especially with men, that, uh, that I find very beneficial is intermittent fasting. I, I, I get a lot of, uh, of guys that are able to lean out uh, by intermittent fasting. And generally, all, all the intermittent fasting means is that you're eating all your meals within about an eight-hour window of, uh, of the day. Okay. And, then, and then fasting for roughly 16 hours. Okay, that's doable, especially if sleep is eight of those. Right, and, and, guys, and guys in particular do very well with intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you need to see somebody and figure out what your diet needs to, uh, you know, what the makeup of your diet needs mm -hmm. to be. I typically don't, even with my patients that are obese, I typically don't get them below 50 grams of carbs a day. So they're, so they're not going to be ketogenic. And uh, so diet, nutrition, sleep, for sure. Hormones, uh, are, are definitely something that you need to address. And, and I'll I think tell you, uh, tied to that is the fact that the only way you're going to really address your, your hormones is to, you need to go get your blood work done, right? I mean, you need to absolutely. have reference points. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you that, uh, it's, um, you know, and this is another whole podcast talking about, uh, what we're, you know, exposed to on a daily basis, as far as estrogenic compounds and all that. But I can tell you for a fact that guys have very low testosterones starting at young ages. I'll, I'll, catch, I'll catch guys with very low testosterones in their late 20s and early 30s. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and a lot of times the, these will be guys that, that don't look the part. They may be, you know, CrossFit uh, guys, you know, very well built, strong, you know, they come in and they're fatigued. They may be starting to have some 
some sexual dysfunction, you know, low libido is very common, you know, erectile dysfunction becomes common and uh, you, you test and they, and they have low, they have low testosterone levels. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it's the difference when, when your testosterone is at a good level and when it's not, is just one, one, one is hell and one is heaven. Right. That's been my experience. Or this might be a bit strong, but I feel like absolute crap or I felt like absolute crap before I got onto the replacement therapy. And now, man, I wake up every day feeling like I can literally take on the world is. And it's all because of this one tiny little molecule, you know, um, obviously, obviously it's important. I, I guess I just want to reiterate. Otherwise, Mark's going <laughs> to he's gonna freak out on me. But I mean, this right. is not something you just do lightly. I studied oh, it for no, a long no, no. time. I got all the tests done. I went to see a doctor. And I mean, th- that's the thing that blew my mind is I was 30. I'm 39 years old. And I don't smoke. I don't drink. I lie in the sun for at least 20 minutes every day. I eat exceptionally well. I don't eat any polyunsaturated fatty acids or, you know, I, I exercise, I do yoga. I fucking work out with weights. I do jujitsu. I sleep pretty well. And man, my testosterone was low, you know, and just, it's, it freaked me out, but it, it's the nature of, of the world we live in. As you said, there's, there's something going on, whether it's estrogen in the water or uh, electromagnetic radiation or what, whatever it is, there's something happening that's, that's attacking this molecule in our, in our bodies, right? Oh yeah. I, I'm convinced that, uh, you know, a good bit of it is environment. And, and again, you know, I, you know, I don't say it flippantly about testosterone in, in that, you know, I really, you really need to see somebody that knows what they're doing, uh, when they're, you're replacing it. And, and how do you, how do you tell that some, that person knows what they're doing? What is, what should you look for? What questions should be, you be asking? Well, I think one thing you want to find out if they're, if they're doing a lot of testosterone replacement, you know, that, that it's not just a, it's not just a GP who writes a script for testosterone, you know, every so often, because, you know, what I'll find with those patients is that, you know, they're injecting testosterone once every two weeks, which is, which is not appropriate at all. And in my opinion, you know, I don't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers, but, uh, you know, like for me, what my injection program, you know, minimum, they're going to inject two times a week. And I would prefer that they inject every day to get a stable blood level. So, so I think you need to, to find out, you know, is this something that they're doing and have they been educated? It, it, it takes a while to get the education for this. It took me, you know, like I told you, I'm an anesthesiologist. It took me probably four or five years to get board certified and fellowship trained in this kind of medicine. Wow. It, you know, it, it's, not, uh, it's not a weekend course uh, to, to do this kind of stuff. And yeah, and I, you know, so I would just encourage them to look around. And I think the barriers are really going to start coming down. I think telemedicine is going to eventually be available, you know, in all of our states. So, so you could, you could be, you know, you could see a quality person in Florida and live in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that's going to happen relatively soon. Yeah, I can, I can believe that'll happen. Well, that's uh, a lot of information to unpack, Dr. Martin. I really appreciate your time. It's so such a pleasure for me to speak to people as qualified and as knowledgeable as you. I know my questions might have been a little bit tough in the beginning, but it's just because I'm at a I'm at a place where I'm a little bit jaded and a little bit cynical. So, um, you know, it's uh, when I, when I speak to someone like you, I, I really want to find out 
uh, if he has the answers to the, t- the tough questions and you, s- you seem to have some pretty good ones. No, I think those are good questions. I, you know, uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, I'm reading a really good book right now called Estro Generation. <laughs> and uh, a lot of what you were talking about as far as flawed studies and the way studies are performed are addressed in that book. And uh, so good book for people to uh, to pick up, by the way. Estro Generation. So, yeah, Estro Generation. It's, re- it's a really good book. And uh, basically, it's it's telling you how do you can prevent all of the, the estrogenic load that we're all exposed to on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might I might check that out. So, Dr. Barnett, if those listening wanted to uh, find out more about your work, where should they go? My YouTube channel's uh, Dr. Don Bonner. And I, I try to put up, uh, I'm putting up a lot of educational uh, videos on there. And uh, so I'm hoping to uh, to really educate uh, everybody, but, you know, especially the uh, jiu-jitsu community. My Twitter handle is Ridgeland Doc. So that's R-I-D-G-E-L-A-N-D-D-O-C. And, uh, you know, if you message me, I'll, uh, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. That's great. I know uh, you said you wanted to get a lot of good information out there. And I think... Um you're definitely doing that, my man. You're definitely doing that. So we'll have to have you back on the show. I think what, what maybe we can do is get my friend, Dr. Mark Barton on as well. And we could do like a round table kind of thing. And maybe even Jay Campbell too. I know um, you guys will all have slightly differing opinions or maybe majorly differing opinions, but you guys are all actualized and all on the path to improving yourselves through knowledge, which is, I guess, what, what the people listening to the show are trying to do too. Thanks again for your time, Dr. Bonner. Okay, uh, uh, Nick, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, the uh, new video you've got out. Uh, I'm going to pick it up, and uh, I'm excited about uh, the kettlebells. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Don is, you can hear he's an open-minded, reflexive person, which I find is something that is not always a given in the medical industry or the medical uh, field. I have met a few doctors, my business partner, Mark Barton, being one of them who are open-minded and, and willing to listen to new things. But generally, I find that uh, a lot of doctors are stuck in their ways and using outdated protocols and methodologies when it comes to treatment of their patients. And in particular, it's I, I think it's more a root issue or a function of a root issue within modern medicine, in particular in the West, which is that it's designed to treat sickness, not foster health. And there's a very there's a very important difference between those two things, right? It's, it's a subtle but important distinction between between those two. And it sounds like Dr. Bonner is, is focused on fostering health, which um, is what I'm all about. So I truly appreciate that. I thank you guys for listening. We have a couple more episodes, I think two more in the regular format. And then things are going to be changing. Uh, the name of the show is going to be changing. The direction of the show is going to be changing. So keep an ear out. Until next time, blessings on you guys. Bye.